couple years ago, I was sitting down, uh, taking a break from my job at The Athletic Media Company, and uh, I was drinking a non-alcoholic beer from Athletic Brewing, and I thought, uh, hey, this this could be a partnership because I'm, I'm an ad wizard, and so I put those two things together, and took a couple years, but now I get to read ads for Athletic Brewing and uh, their non-alcoholic beers, and I'm excited about it. And I'm excited about it because I like the product. I like the product for a variety of different reasons. There are times where I'm uh, the designated driver, and that is, it's perfect for me. I don't feel like I'm, I'm missing out on a whole lot. There are also times where I'm not the designated driver, but it's going to be a long day of gabbing, and I don't necessarily need to have 10 IPAs in a row. So I will mix in an athletic, non-alcoholic beer, and I, I feel like I don't miss a beat, and it allows me to pace myself uh, the way I want to do it. It's perfect for beach days, music festivals, and baseball games, camping, late nights. Uh, they have a ton of different varieties. They have uh, light. They have upside uh, Don Golden. They have Run Wild IPA. They have a hazy IPA. They have summer seasonals. They've got a, a lemon Rattler ripe pursuit. I don't even know what a Rattler is, but now I want to try it. I feel bad that I haven't tried it. So this summer, ask for the only non-alcoholic beer you need to know, Athletic. Head to askforathletic.com to find it near you and use the code TA2024 to get 15% off your first online order. That's code TA2024 at checkout for 15% off. It's near beer, non-alcoholic beer, and it tastes Listen, I grew up with some funky ones. Uh, those didn't taste like beer. This tastes like this. This is good non-alcoholic beer. Uh, exclusions and conditions apply. Athletic Brewing Company, fit for all times. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruits and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the TIFO Football Podcast. I'm Joe Devine and I'm now joined by Alex Stewart. Hi Joe. And Seb Stafford-Bloor. Hello Joe. We are uh, recording the podcast in the immediate aftermath of uh, the nil-nil result of a football game between England and Scotland. And we'll be talking a little bit about that today. And also we'll be talking about the other two games of the day, which have gone out of my mind momentarily, but also were Sweden and Slovakia. And the Czech Republic, Croatia, only three goals today. One goal a game, but not spread out like that. Yeah, it's been a slog of a day. I, I was excited about the evening game, and uh, I felt uh, quite tired, needed a real boost of energy for this show, and it's just gone. I, <laughs> so. Well, I felt like the, the late game was, the, the prospect of the late game was sustaining me through what was some fairly uninspiring football earlier. And now I feel, I feel like I do after a North London, London derby when all of the energy has gone, and I just feel a little bit sick. Yeah. But, also, yeah. Uh, for people listening uh, to uh, the podcast, uh, hope, hopefully you can't hear it, but there is a party going on downstairs in our, with our office neighbours. So they sound like they're having a lovely time, uh, but you might hear some of those dubulent sounds, and I hope that will contrast well with the misery and despair that we're feeling here in the studio. 
But if you like misery and despair, you should download. No, this is a joke. If you like the opposite of misery and despair, if you like to be informed and to be up, upbeat and happy, you should download The Athletic. And you can do that at the moment. Get a 30-day free trial to try out how happy it makes you by visiting theathletic.com forward slash TIFO. I expect that there'll be lots of uh, analysis of this evening's events on The Athletic tomorrow, Seb. I uh, imagine there will be, and it probably won't be that kind wasn't great, was it? There's also, we'll get into it, but there's quite a few areas which are pretty easy to attack in terms of how England play, but also uh, the strategy around their performance, which underwhelmed uh, me. Mm-hmm. And a not... pretty impressive Scotland. Hey, really impressive Scotland. We're, not, we're going to try our very best not to fall into that trap of making yes. everything about England because Scotland was super good tonight. Um, I also think you're, you know, JJ, as we've said a couple of times, he was too negative about their first performance hey. against the Czech Republic, who we have learned now are a good team and Croatia aren't as good as we thought they were. So. Yeah, I mean, I, I think to be honest, we caught JJ at the wrong time because I think in the disappointment of what happened against the Czech Republic, perhaps it's completely natural. You have a sort of a deflating feeling and you overlook some of the things that went well. And as we saw tonight with uh, Czech performance, Czech Czech performance, the Czech Republic's performance against Croatia, yeah, decent side. And for a while in that game, Scotland were the better team. Yeah. So uh, I don't think we should be underestimating Scotland. No. Okay. Well, we won't be underestimating Scotland after uh, I leave you in the warm hands and the uh, cool embrace of Seb Stafford Bloor and Alex Stewart. Okay, beginning with England nil, Scotland nil. First thing to say, Seb, is England weren't that good, were they? I don't, as we discussed, I don't want to take away from a, a stoke performance from the from the Scottish team, and we will come on to talk about that. Uh, but uh, as an Anglophone, <laughs> I want to talk about England first and how I feel a little dejected. Rightly so, because I think the word I would use to describe that was fearful because we mm. spoke last night with JJ about the kind of the the, the perils, the, the pitfalls of this kind of game for England, which is that it's kind of a no-win situation and you can easily, as a player, I imagine, find yourself picturing the worst-case scenario, which is defeat at Wembley to Scotland, which, is, which would be a, a pretty horrendous prospect. And it felt to me as if, and this kind of showed in the way England passed the ball, the speed with which they did things, and certain moments within their defending, it felt as if they were kind of... Um, teetering on the edge of a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. Um, they were, I don't know, focused on worst case scenarios. And I, I don't know, I mean, I we, we're going to get to the other half of this, which is a Scotland bit, but never did England play with any real conviction, any sense of like, player for player, they're superior, clearly. Um, and yet there was never really a period during the game, apart from a few sort of flashes from Foden and a couple of moments from Grealish at the end, where it seemed as if England actually believed in that superiority. Um, and it was really disappointing. It was really disappointing. It's just because Croatia created not a you know a feel good factor, but in an encouraging moment. It was a good solid start to the tournament. And let's not lose sight of the fact that England are probably through as a result of this point. But there was no uh, no authority to any of this. There yeah. was no conviction. There was no. In fact, there was no security. Uh, I thought Scotland looked like the likelier team to score, actually. Also, this uh, the performance makes me, perhaps this is the wrong way to do it, but looks retrospectively back at that Croatia game slightly differently because aside from Foden hitting the post, the only goal came from 
the only real chance. And that in in that game felt like a sort of cool and calm performance, and they did what they needed to do. Now after this performance, I look back and think like, mm, where are the goals coming from? Well, I, I would say JJ warned us about this. He spoke last night, and people can go back and find this. He, he talked about how England were quite conservative, don't take many risks. Uh, they are the team basically that I've just described. I think tonight was a slightly lesser version of what he was imagining, but he pretty much nailed it. This is a a team that worries more perhaps about losing the game than they do about exerting kind of their attacking elements on an opposition. And this was that game and it was ugly. Alex, the other thing I noticed about the game was that uh, for England at least, they didn't appear to have a midfield almost at all. Uh, and I mean that by the, there was no English player progressing the ball through the midfield. No one, well, people rarely ever stood in the centre circle. And uh, particularly when Scotland had the ball in their midfield, there was a huge gap uh, where they could run forwards to to the defensive line. It was it seemed odd to me and uh, fearful, as, as Seb said, but also that bit just kind of confused. Yeah, so England started off uh, for like the first 10 minutes pressing Scotland really effectively, quite high up the pitch and through central midfield as well. Uh, there was Sterling winning the ball off McTominay. And it, it felt very much like at that point in time, England had identified Scotland's weakness of playing out from the back. They were going to swamp them in midfield, press them high and control that part of the pitch. And then it stopped. And England progressively sat deeper and deeper. Calvin Phillips, who got so much acclaim, rightly so, for his performance against Croatia, which was very dynamic and much further up the pitch than what we're used to seeing from Calvin Phillips, regressed positionally, and in terms of his performance, uh, to play much more of a kind of double pivot role alongside uh, Declan Rice. And they afforded a fair degree of protection, but Scotland had made what I felt was a sensible change by moving Scott McTominay back to, to right-sided centre-back and bringing in Billy Gilmore, who won the Star of the Match award, I see from Twitter, um, and kept possession taking over and moved the ball around. And rather than England get confrontational to that, and maybe it's because there were so many fouls given away in the first 10, 15 minutes by both teams that England backed off that central area a bit. Yeah. But they ceded, uh, they ceded control of that part of the pitch to Scotland and started trying to progress it either long. I think, you know, one of their best opportunities came from that glorious long pass from Jordan Pickford or entirely down the sides, or well, I say down the sides, down the left-hand side, really, uh, and just gave up on passing it through the middle. And, and that makes no sense when one of their strongest uh, attributes is Kane's ability to drop off centrally yeah. and bring runners in. If Kane's not going to drop off centrally, or if he is, you're not going to try and find him through the middle. What's the point? I mean, they gave up trying to pass it through the middle, but they also at times seemed to give up standing anywhere near the middle. Yeah, well, this <laughs> felt the, like the, they the had the this weird like umbrella shape thing, yeah. where you know there were there were players moving into the forward wide areas, clustering around Kane in the middle, and they you know yeah like an like an umbrella with the goalkeeper being the handle at the bottom. It, it felt like they were trying to play almost like the away side would play in a game. Mm. So keep a compact six shape at the back push the fullbacks higher when you're in possession, but don't put them too aggressively against Scotland's wingbacks when you're not. And then try and hit Foden running through or Sterling running through. And the latter of those was rarely going... I mean, Sterling lost the ball more than any other player on the pitch, like mm. eight times, I think. Um, it just seemed like an incredibly cagey performance. And one of the things that 
you know, England needed two things at half time. I would have said they needed to up the pace of everything that they were doing. So the switches of play needed to be quicker. The passing needed to be quicker, but they also needed more control. And there was a very brief spell at the beginning of the second half where England started to pass it around a little bit more, again, encouraging like the first 10 minutes of the first half. And then they just stopped doing it. And I was like, I don't understand why England start doing something that's working and then just stop. I mean, again, credit to Scotland. They harried, they pressed. John McGinn was excellent in that role as well. Che Adams and Lyndon Dykes dropping off and pressing much the way that Che Adams does for Southampton. But at the same time, you would you would hope, if you're an England fan, that England would look at the the better quality they have on the ball and think, well, we can play through this. We can we can use Scotland's press against them by manipulating them out of position, playing through the lines, getting our quick runners going. Didn't happen. Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of things that come to mind when you say that. The first is that uh, within the first... I don't know, 10, 15 minutes of the game, John Stones had that uh, completely free uh, header, mm-hmm. which unfortunately hit the post. It looked like he was up a little bit too early and perhaps not expecting to be in such space. Um, but also the other thing, you know, the other towards the other end of the game, Foden coming off, Seb. I just, mm-hmm. at the time, I was a little bit surprised. I wasn't certain it was going to be Sterling that came off. And again, I don't want to massively enter into a conversation about the pros and cons of, of Raheem Sterling. Yep. Clearly he was the match winner the other day. He, Gareth Southgate obviously sees something in him which offers uh, England balance and an alternative, and that's fine. But Foden, before that, Alex even said when we were watching, seemed to be the only England player that was looked likely to create anything. I mean, Harry Kane, fewer than, what, six touches in the box? Yeah, so I looked at uh, Kane's touches at half time, and he'd had six fewer than every other player on the pitch, including both goalkeepers, which was quite descriptive. The Foden thing, to me, it was as simple as Foden was the one England player who didn't look inhibited mm. by what was happening around him. He wanted the ball, he wanted to run at defenders. Every time he got it, we were watching, there was uh, five or six of us uh, gather around the TV. Every time he, he got the ball, we were engaged in it. You thought yeah. something's going to happen here. To me, this is this describes a um, a fairly... I don't want to say it's a weakness of Southgate's, but it's a tendency whereby he's a little bit afraid to overload his teams with the attacking options in the sense that to almost all of us, uh, the logical change there is grulish for Sterling. To me, Southgate thinks it's too aggressive. Don't like it, yeah. don't like it, don't like it. Because as we said right at the beginning, it feels as if the focus is on what could then go wrong rather than this is a game to go and win. You've got these incredibly... I mean, England's strength is at the attacking, is at the the the, the top yeah. of the pitch. And he has huge strength in depth. He's so many options. All of these players offer something slightly different. And by removing the uh by removing someone like Foden, you're taking something unique off the pitch. You're taking something well, so that's not to deal with very well. Alex mentioned already that Pickford pass, you know, the yeah. incredible pass out from yeah, yeah. out from the back. And who was running onto that? It was Sterling, of course. And at the time, you know, he runs into the defense, he has to turn around, he loses the ball. That's a criticism, a common criticism of his game in those sorts of moments. And I think it was it was said at the time, that's where you worry with Sterling. My other confusion about that is, you know, you, I think the, the natural instinct is, th- is to think about Sterling as someone who, uh, sure, he can find himself in the right place in the right time in the box. That's one of his skills. But also as a player who, who has the pace to run in behind, right? Yeah. It was Foden doing that in the game. Yeah. Mm, yeah. So I don't understand why you would take Grealish, uh, you would bring Grealish on for Foden. Grealish isn't the player who's going to run in behind. So you're just taking penetration off the pitch, yeah. and the you know the the only instance where that I'm angry. <laughs> but this, I, I think this is very fair because 
to me, uh, one of the, the great failing of the English media, British media, is that they have this sort of boom-bust situation with Raheem Sterling. So he's either brilliant or he's awful. In reality, I don't think this game suited him. I think Scotland yeah. defended ever so well. They were brilliant. Um, the things that Sterling needs to do, think about what he is at City. He is someone that knifes on to chances inside the box. He is, I suppose, compare him to someone in one of Bar uh, Pep Guardiola's old teams. He is what... Um, Pedro used to be at Barcelona. Yeah. Like he's that component player that you use to finish stuff, not to create stuff, yeah. not to create moves, but to finish them. I'm not saying he can't. To be, to be the second run in. To, to be right. the second run in, to be about movement, to be about anticipation, intelligent runs. That is Raheem Sterling's game as it was uh, against Croatia. Yeah. Good finish, nice sort of run through the, the heart of the defense. Also being in the right place at the right time. Composed at the right moment. Exactly. Anticipation and smart. Um, and this didn't suit him because yeah. England weren't, England weren't creating those kind of chances. They didn't um, occupy the area in front of the penalty box. They didn't really get to the byline very often. They had a few moments, um, mainly in the first half, in the first sort of 25 minutes. England weren't playing a game that was designed to benefit or for Raheem Sterling to to profit from. And that was a, that was a problem. Um, yeah. And I feel like, not that he was set up to fail, because that's kind of accusatory. That's not, that's not right. That's not what I mean. But it never seemed like it was working for him. Um, yeah. I hope he doesn't get hammered for it. No. My, my fear, whenever Raheem Sterling um, doesn't have the best game or if he has a sort of six or it's seven not, or It's ten, not his fault that we didn't win the game. No, but this is the thing. Like You feel like it's it's just because of what's happened before mm -hmm. with him in previous summers or previous it makes it an awkward conversation. He's such a, an easy target because people are so um, quick to criticise him. It's not his fault. It just, it's not the right game for him. It's uh, It goes that way sometimes. And... You know, manager picks players and a manager picks players for situations. And tonight, I think that was a failing of the coach. Well, can we extend to say that it, it felt at times like it wasn't the right game for Harry Kane either, or at least he wasn't on the right game? No, I'm a little bit baffled because uh, a couple of people said, um, and a few people have said in the in the chat actually, that he didn't look fit. And I completely agree. I've, I've seen Harry Kane come back from injury at Tottenham many times, and it always looks the same. He looks kind of um, awkward and... You know, he runs in that slightly jerky way and it, it just doesn't look quite right. And this evening, uh, he never really looked like scoring, but also he wasn't even receiving the ball. So we can have the conversation about whether he should drop deep or whether he should charge into the penalty box and aim for the penalty spot. I think the problem is a little bit more elementary than that. He wasn't receiving the ball. That's much worse because then he's not doing anything. He's not scoring goals. He's not a playmaker. He's not having any influence at all. And he looked... He looked like a he looked like a jaded player when he came off. Yeah, um, and it's, uh, it's it's also felt like something you just wouldn't see in the 2018 World Cup, right? Yeah, I think so. Uh, I just he doesn't look sharp. It's, it's interesting that he 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 is very much subable in, in this tournament. He's, he's as evidenced by both games now, right? Yeah, I I I wonder. I mean, I'm I'm completely speculating. Uh, there's been a lot of noise around Harry Kane. He's played a lot of football. His Tottenham's entire season was based on his performances because they had pretty much nothing else apart from Son Heung-min. Uh, there's a lot of noise about where he may play his football next season. He's been in the headlines week after week after week. I wonder if it's just been draining. Maybe, yeah. Alex, can we carry on talking about the uh, the substitutions that were made? Uh, because it felt, you know, towards the end of the game as well, uh, we could see Rashford warming up to come on. I think we were all a little, not necessarily surprised to see Harry Kane off, but surprised to see him be the player that Rashford was uh, subbed for. When that happened, I thought maybe Dominic Calvert-Lewin will follow in five minutes, and that, that didn't happen. Um, it seemed a strange sort of top line to end the game with. 
the line you would expect if uh, you were looking for that quick counter or if you thought there were opportunities and space in behind. And obviously the moment that Rashford came on to the pitch, Scotland only had a few minutes left, sat very deep, and uh, there was no opportunity to go in behind at all. There were only fl- uh, flitterings and, and flutterings around the outside of the area, Grealish on the ball a lot, looking for that cross in. Where's Harry Kane? He's on the bench. No one in there to pass to. Well, there was a lot of, the, the, those last 10 minutes were a lot of quite stagnant play at the edge of Scotland's box. There were a number of instances where Grealish got the ball in quite an aggressive position and you were kind of waiting for someone to arrive and then, you know, Luke Shaw pops up as the centre forward and then Calvin Phillips pops up as the centre forward and you think, you know, Ra- what, what's Rashford good at? He's good at coming off the left-hand side and stretching the game by running in behind. Um, particularly given that Scotland's weakest player, I think even Scots fans would probably agree, is O'Donnell uh, on, on the right wing back position. Who had one of the best chances of the game. Who did, yeah. and forced a fantastic save from Pickford. Um, so, you know, you, that's the space that you target if you want to have a player running in behind. And, and like, yeah, as far as Sterling goes, he does bring a pressing game, for example, that Grealish doesn't. Um, and his astuteness of when to press and when not to press, I thought that that was good, that was effective. But at the same time, if you know that you're going to be dealing with a fairly compact defence, which would look a lot like a five and then a three at times, also even with Che Adams and, and Lyndon Dykes dropping back and helping out with that press, you you don't want somebody who's whose sole function as an attacking player is to try and stop the opposition playing out. And it felt like, like you said, once England sort of slightly went for stretching the game, they then didn't have a focal point to make any of that count. And I don't know, you also have a fullback change. So, you know, Rhys James and Luke Shaw come in for this game provided significantly more threat than any other English players in terms of their passing. But I think Rhys James only had one really good first-time cross, and that was the one that Kane headed fairly narrowly wide from. And if you bring on someone like Rhys James, or you bring someone like Rhys James in for a game like that, you release him down that flank. You get him whipping in first-time balls. But the way that James was checking and playing the ball back inside when there were crossing opportunities on says one of two things. It either says there aren't enough targets in the box, which is a failure of the rest of the team to get forwards, or he's been instructed to play the ball back in field to try and work it through the half space, which seems like a waste of having him on the team. So yeah. it, it didn't. a lot of it didn't make sense to me. Let me ask you a question about Southgate now, after the, after the game, right? Because right. obviously in some ways you'll think he'll watch that performance, he'll be slightly worried about going into the, the next game, uh, going into the round of 16, you would hope. Um, another way of looking at it is that I've got a point, they're on four points, there were, there was at least one, possibly two opportunities in the game where you wouldn't have been surprised to see them score a goal. The John Stones header was one of them. Mm. I think Foden had a good shot early on too. Uh, that is, if they scored that goal... The game changes, right? It was very early on. Scotland have to have to play slightly differently. Not to say that they sat and defended deeply throughout the game because they absolutely didn't. But the, the game state changes when that occurs. Yeah. And suddenly we might be looking back at this and thinking that's the same as the Croatia performance. And actually, maybe there's a positivity there. And there's um, you know, there were opportunities for the, for them to win the game. They just didn't take their chances this time. Will Gareth Southgate be in that mindset? Do you think, or will he be very disappointed with what he's seen? 
There is uh, a middle ground to those two things yeah. as well. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, obviously, we've got no idea because we're not in Gareth. I, sure. I suspect- If you were Gareth Southgate. If I- If, if you were Gareth you Southgate- if I were the and, England and manager or if I were literally Gareth Southgate? No, if, <laughs> I was about to say, if you were Gareth Southgate, but Gareth Southgate without being able to make little comments before you answer the questions. Right. Um, I would probably secretly be disappointed- Mm-hmm. Um, I would put on a prosaic, this is fine. We got a result that puts us through. It's a second clean sheet in a row. I thought Tyrone Mings played really well. We don't want to finish first anyway. No one got injured. No one got injured, you know. But I also think with tournament football, there are two things that are really important. The first is momentum in terms of results. And the second is mentality in terms of seizing game state and pushing forwards with that. And if I am an England player, and I know I'm really doing some mental gymnastics here, not just being Gareth Southgate, but being someone else, I'm looking at those substitutions and I'm seeing a coach who maybe is settling for things when I feel like I want to go on and win the game. If I'm Phil Foden, having been the only England player who really excited people and got people off their seat... I'm looking at you here, particularly Seb. Lots of jumping <laughs> up and down. Uh, it's quite distracting. When yeah. I try, uh, and um, there's the man who stands leering at the telly. <laughs> yeah. Sure, sometimes. Um, that I would be really disappointed with that. I would be thinking not in a kind of egotistical way. This is my moment. I'm going to show everyone how good I am. But you want your coach to have confidence in your ability to change games. And Foden was the only England player who looked like he was going to change the game at that point. Grealish, I don't think, had enough time to do that. Um, And that would give me some cause for concern about the ultimately pragmatic nature of this coach. And when you then go into a game where you're against a a better team than Scotland, no disrespect to Scotland, they played really, really well and, uh, you know, arguably gave England a much, much stiffer competition than Croatia did. Significantly, they're not a France or a Germany or a Portugal or the next lot of games mm-hmm. that are going to happen. If England go a goal down in that game, you've got a coach whose natural instinct is always to curl up into a ball, you know, is not to go and push a game and throw on a second striker and mm. try and make something happen. Which are He's the animals against which that works, curling up into a ball? Bear. Bear? I think bear. Uh, Isn't that just to protect your... Certain types of shark. Your major organs. Or shark. Apparently, shark. How can you can you I've roll heard... up into a ball under no, the sea? Well, no, not no, not with a shark. You, you try and gouge its eyes or punch it on the nose. Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't rate my chances, but uh, apparently, sure. if you're not, you know, you're not sort of a threat to the shark. I'm not about to test this theory. Can I can I bring something up? Because when I when gouge I, away, when I go, stay all day if you want to. When I go back to the uh, old Red Lion Theatre pub in Angel Islington later, I hey. want to be able to say to Uncle Damien that I praise Grant Hanley because sure, obviously, big Norwich fan. Um, I really thought it was great. And it's, it's difficult when you, when you watch football on television, you obviously the cameras follow the ball. So it can be a little bit difficult to see um, the positioning of a defensive line. But consider this, Hanley outside of him has got Scott McTominay and Kieran Tierney. Neither are orthodox center halves. Mm. Um, and Grant Hanley for most English watchers of this game is just a guy from Norwich who is a kind of um, sort of average looking center back, kind of um, landfill type center back that you find in the <laughs> Premier League. I thought it was great. Like the the hidden things that you do, which 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 he did tonight, which won't show up in kind of stat lines, which are um, interceptions, tackles, clearances, those kind of things. But if you're controlling a line of 
Two players out, one player outside on either shoulder of you. That's a terrible sentence. One player on either shoulder. Mm -hmm. And you're trying to almost coach them through the game because they don't necessarily have centre-back instincts. And then at the end of that 90 minutes, like we look at sort of the way England performed and recognise that at no point was our defensive line in the wrong position. At no point did it get caught too high. When they were defending a lot of the England crosses, firstly, yes, Hanley's got his forehead on everything that came near him. Terrific. But also there was never a point at which um, Scotland got caught a little bit too far away from their goalkeeper or a little bit on top of their goalkeeper. And that's organisation. That's something mm -hmm. you can't price in a performance. So I thought that was absolutely brilliant. It was, yeah. um, it was, yeah. you know, beyond the, like, it's really, they were pretty great. I think it's a shame in some ways that JJ isn't here to be able to, I, um, to eulogise about them. I, I hope it doesn't just become a... Although he did say in the WhatsApp, he, he only really wanted to be here to talk about how awful England were. Well, but he can do that when he comes back in, but I, no. I hope it doesn't become a, oh, Scotland tried really hard and threw their bodies in the way of shots. It wasn't like that. Sure. Scotland defended great. Mm. They're, they offered a real threat on the counter-attack. Also, you know, Alex mentioned this earlier, but Dykes and Adams up front, they were a threat. They're not yeah. just an outpost chasing balls into the channels and, you know, delaying England attacks. They were dangerous. They could have... I, Scotland were more dangerous than England. I think, I think Scotland learned during the course of that game in a way that England didn't. So McTominay tries to bring the ball out in like the third minute, yep. gets dispossessed. That doesn't, doesn't happen, happen again. again. Doesn't happen again. And, and maybe that's a Grant Hanley shouting... Hey. Invective at the him. The John Stones free header that he right. probably should have scored from doesn't happen again. Doesn't happen it's a again. lapse, but they learn from it. Che Adams and Landon Dykes start the game pressing really quite high up on the England centre-backs, suddenly realise that if they drop off and John McGinn pushes up, all of a sudden they can actually get kind of like a 2v1 or a 3v1 yep. even against Declan Rice. And they start appearing in those gaps an awful lot of the time, particularly Che Adams. To be fair, that's the thing. As I said, Che Adams does that for Southampton. Him and Danny Ings both drop off a lot, partly so they can press from uh, behind the player in possession because the player in possession is facing away from his goal, so he doesn't feel them coming behind. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah. it's, you know, they, they, they adapted really well during the course of that game in a way that I felt England didn't. Scotland almost had a more mature performance in terms of recognizing situations within the game where they could gain the upper hand and then trying to exploit them. I, what, what's happened here is that you moved it onto Scotland without sorry. me and I plan to go to a break between England and Scotland. Hey, we can still do that. Can we? Well, we've got nice music. We could we could just stop talking, <laughs> let people listen to the kind of the slow jazz True. and then go back and maybe people are relaxed to the point where they've forgotten. Okay, we've we'll come back and talk about Scotland after this. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Right, we're back. 
What a break. That was a great break, wasn't it? Good. And now we'll talk about Scotland. They were good and aggressive, weren't they, Seb? And they really offered a threat. They looked... I, think I know we, we've already done a bit of this, but we, we're just Well, I, I had we're more because up. I just want to say I thought they were really well coached. Mm. I thought their systems worked really nicely. I thought the balance... I thought the way in which they balanced a little bit of attacking intent at the right moments with retaining their defensive security was absolutely superb. Because the criticism of Clark after the first game was that he was too conservative yeah. and you could not level that against him in this game, right? I don't think they were conservative at all. I think they were very balanced. I think they they gave a near-perfect away performance. I know it doesn't feel like an away performance because um, when I'm really kind of empty, uh, but it was. And they were by no means the favourite. They're an underdog in this game. And yet they, they all the way through, there was never a point at which it became, you know, there's England friendlies or those, those qualifiers that England play sometimes where it's, it's literally just, they sit in the opposition half and wait to score goals or they get frustrated. It wasn't like that. This was a back and forward game. And um, now that the kind of the disappointment of it has, has drained away a little bit, I thought it was, it was a good game. I don't, it won't be for everyone, everybody, but people that like British football um, who enjoy the rain and the kind of the slight aggro needle and the kind of back and forwards of British football. I thought it was great. And a knee in the hip within the first 10 seconds. And a knee in the hip and like, you know, John McGinn trying to get someone sent off. I've forgotten Mm. who it was. I think it was Foden when he, there's a little bit of a scuffle between them. And and the penalty that should have obviously been a penalty. I don't know. Like I I feel like- Do you remember that one? The penalty that was was very obviously a penalty? So- I've let it go now. Well- I'm only biased here. I earlier in the day I complained about VAR's intervention in the um, the Croatia Czech Republic game. So you're not allowed to say. So that. I feel like it's a bit of hypocrisy because I, I can see it being a penalty. I, is it a scandal? No, not really. It's like you have to be a VAR. Is I, I'm willing to accept those not being given if it means a no VAR messing about. <laughs> Mixed up. Mixed up. And Rob Ferguson say never, never a pen. <laughs> Maybe they're right. I don't know. I'm all caught up in the uh One one question which keeps coming up though is why no Jaden Sancho? That's an interesting one, Joe. Yeah, I was gonna ask you that, or I mean whoever wants to take that one really, because he, he you know you're, you're jaded. <laughs> what does he have to do? To, what does he what does he what's he gotta do to have a kick of the ball? I and more importantly, who does he come on for? I don't know. I, I like Sancho off the left, personally, when he plays for Dortmund. Um but he's also really effective off the right. So I don't think he has to be an either or for any particular player. I think he's just someone that can be used. To me, I think there's still a little bit of that issue in England whereby when a player is really, really excellent in another country, somehow it doesn't seem to matter quite as much as it does if they're really, really good in the Premier League. And I I think that's wrong. Um, That being said, I... I, I'm not going to pretend to be too angry about it because I mm. I don't know. I think there are, there are problems further back. Like We talk about the substitutions. I think the main issue was... England just isn't passable well enough. England sure. didn't play with enough pace. England, these are these are things which you know affect the way forwards play and who should start and those kind of things. But these I've are noticed we're issues. talking about England again. <laughs> We've drifted off back We've into drifted. it. Yeah, here's yeah. a different question for okay. you, right? Because this group now, Alex, is perilously balanced. Let's say it looks like everyone's doing their best job to finish second. Nobody wants that first spot. Uh, we have the Czech Republic and England on four points. And we have Croatia and Scotland on one point. Now, have I said that correctly? That is correct, isn't it? That is it? indeed correct, yes. And of course, these are the two teams that play each other going into the next round. So the first thing we can say is that we know for sure that if the Czech Republic and England draw in their final game, they are one and two. Mm-hmm. There's no way of surpassing that. Yep. Seems a bit odd to be necessary to play those games at the same time, given that we know that. But third place, of course, can go through. If there's a winner out of the uh, 
Croatia-Scotland game uh, with four points in third place. You think that's a very likely uh, entrance into the final round. Having watched now Croatia twice and Scotland twice, I have to say I think Scotland should be favourites for the game. I don't, I don't think they will be, but I, I completely take your point. I think um, uh, Croatia looks... It's can they score? That's the thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they are, correct me if I'm wrong, they're yet to score a goal. They are yet to score a That's goal. That's the thing. I wonder whether, um, to me, I mean, Alex, I might ask you this, actually. Croatia feel very end of cyclish, very kind of, you know, the best players of this generation are getting old and we're waiting for something new to happen, but it hasn't quite happened yet. Do you get the same impression? I do. I think, I mean, obviously, this is a team that was a, a World Cup finalist three years ago with yep. many of the same players. Yep. Um, obviously Rakitic is missing and I think that's a huge loss in terms of providing the, you know, an additional runner forwards. I think the decision to play Rebic through the centre today was odd and start Perisic on the right-hand side as soon as Perisic moved to the left just looks after half-time. He? Yeah. he scores a goal almost immediately. Um, so yeah, there are some weird decisions there. Um, obviously they have two very young fullbacks and two very old centre-backs, or not very old, but... Uh, I do. I, I mean, I have to agree in terms of Scotland against Croatia. You know, the idea of, of Che Adams and Landon Dykes going up against Vida and Lovren, like that's, you're, you're not backing Croatia in that battle. Um, I, I can see Scotland's physicality and their ability to burst from deep, causing the uh, Croatian midfield real tracking problems. They can pin the fullbacks down. And as long as you st stop uh, Parasic and, and whoever plays in the other wide position for Croatia getting the ball, I don't see where they're causing a problem from. That's the thing. I, I They felt very static against England, uh, more so probably uh, today against the Czech Republic. Like, I wonder whether... I, I quite fancy that Scotland left-hand side to do some damage. Like, I don't... Um, well, no, they've not come good yet. Not yet, but... I, I don't know. Like, I do, do you... I mean, the left-hand side married with that centre-back pairing. Like, I... Lovren I'll never trust as a centre-back. Yeah. It, it's just, there's that thing in him. That's well, Lovren's going to get drawn out towards the ball. Exactly, he's when, impulsive. When somebody is making that run in and you'd have someone like Che Adams or John McGinn lurking, waiting for that mistake and Robertson or Tierney, if Tierney's pushed up on mm -hmm. that left-hand side, they have the cuteness to be able to slide that pass in. I think as long as, yeah, as long as they convert one of the many chances they're probably going to get. I can see Scotland winning that totally. I'm fascinated by that, Damo, that that Tierney Robertson thing where you have a you have a, an outside centre back and a left wing back and they manage to be of kind of not quite equal influence, but both attacking factors in the game. Like I just I, I without kind of experiencing that as a professional footballer firsthand, it's really difficult to understand how you can maintain the discipline to keep the integrity of the side throughout 90 minutes. It's just really interesting. Mm. Well, speaking of integrity, you let's found talk that about didn't the, you? <laughs> yeah, very, very much. Let's talk about the Czech Republic and uh, Croatia. One-one, uh, of course. Uh, Czech Republic with the higher XG in this game. I know you'd want to hear about that, Alex. Uh, I have to say, my favourite moment from this game, which incidentally I pr uh, correctly predicted a one-one, was uh, my my high moment of the day, as it you turns did. out. Uh, my favourite moment by far in this game, and probably I will have to say one of my favourite moments in the tournament, along with Goran Pandev's chess wiggle. Well, it was another. Yes, it was yes, another. It was yes. another chess-related incident, <laughs> and it was Ivan Perisic chesting the ball back to his goalkeeper in a crowded box oh. after a corner, and the goalkeeper catching it, and everyone acting like nothing had happened. And I thought, 
I've never seen that before. Ever. Ever. There's like three or four things now I've never seen before in football that I've seen in this tournament. And that one is my favourite one, apart from the chest wiggle. Can you imagine being good enough at football whereby you feel confident to do that? Because sometimes you see it when... Is it a ball that's bouncing slowly and a, and a centre back is sort of moving towards goalkeeper and he gently kind of eases it back? This was this had to be probably would you say like ten to fifteen yards away? It was far away, and that's kind of if you underdo it, you yeah. that's a you push it, looking incredibly it upwards, silly, you know? Yeah, that was just um, that was a wonderfully composed bit of football. It was I a, loved it. You did, didn't you? Was it was it after or before his wonderful goal? Uh, before, surely, wasn't it? I don't remember, but I do remember you saying that we should make a specific note of this You sent me to my computer yeah. to make you, a note. You were yeah. basically more impressed by this one act than any I've other piece of that football before. that has happened. I've never seen it. <laughs> if you didn't watch this game, if day. you're listening and you didn't watch this game, it, it will 100% be in the highlights. Just go and watch the highlights on YouTube or wherever. It, and won't, you'll see, it won't be in the highlights. It will. It, it definitely will. There's only two goals in this game. It definitely mm. will be in the highlights. No one's ever seen that before. We'll have someone in the company he's that can at, upload it. He's somehow. at a, <laughs> like a 45 degree angle to, to the sky and he just thrusts his chest like he almost like he disconnects it from his spine and powers the ball back up up in an arcing hey, yeah. uh, arcing drop xd smithy Wonderful. says it was behind, it was after his goal thanks for that thank you for the steer there there we go okay lots of people in the chat also saying talk about billy gilmore i'm pretty sure we did uh and also let's wait until jj gets back and yeah. he can do it yeah, better yeah, than yeah, we yes, can he can uh the czech republic uh alex have surprised i think it's fair to say in this group um or maybe I suppose it's that, uh, well, there's a bit, of, a bit of that. Also a bit of Croatia have been perhaps more disappointing than, than we thought. Um, Patrick Schick, he's great. I like him. I want to see him more. You want to see him more so much that you decided the best thing to do would be to decide which Premier League site he would and what most did I say? effectively what play did for. I and say? you said Leeds. I, after I got it wrong once or twice, I then said Leeds and I thought, actually, I think that, that makes nicely. a lot of sense. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think the Czech Republic we're always going to be a side that had a lot of solidity. Mm. Um, obviously, you've got Suchak. Um, Hollers played today instead of Kroll, which slightly surprised me, but he did very well. Although I would like to point out... You like Kroll? I like Kroll a lot, yeah. yeah. But the idea of a defensive midfielder wearing the number nine shirt <laughs> is <laughs> genuinely anathema to me. Um, what I thought that the Czechs did really well was um, there was a, a really nice balance so that if one of the centre-backs pushed up then Hollis would drop into the defensive line. They, they had really good defensive automatisms, which was nice. The fullbacks got high enough to provide a, a thrust, particularly on the right-hand side with Kufal, who we know from West Ham. Um, there was just a really Sufal. good balance. Sufal, sorry. And ahead of that, you've got Chick, who is a hard presser, who finishes well, who creates problems challenging for balls in the air who's always really impressed me whenever I've seen him. I think the one concern with the Czechs was would they have, it's supposed to be Derrida, um, who hasn't really done it yet. Would they have somebody who could produce the kind of pass that breaks a compact defense? Mm -hmm. But in the absence of those passes coming, what they've done instead is play a very, very functional, intelligent kind of game. Yeah. And and controlled as much as they can, possession, pressed really intelligently, stopped up the centre yeah. where they've needed to. And they've scored more goals than every other team in their group combined. Yeah, because th this is the thing. If you have, in, in tournament football like this, which has such fine margins and so few opportunities in many instances, if you've got 
a striker who is always looking to spring forwards and also can score more than one type of goal. So Schick is good in the air, but he's also good at running in behind. He's mm. also good at chipping goalkeepers from 40 yards out, which, you know, hey, is a nice thing to also have. So, yeah, it's they're, they're a good team. It, having seen them today against Croatia and watched them properly and having seen the issues that England have in central midfield, that game is now considerably more concerning if you're an England fan. Mm. Um, and also having seen Scotland and Croatia, that game is considerably less concerning if you're a Scotland fan. I'm, I'm thinking now that Declan Rice and Thomas Socek together together again, it's, it's the game of West Ham's midfield. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. And, and they've both had stellar seasons I know which one for I their prefer. club. Which one do you prefer, I like Joe? Thomas Socek more. Than Declan Rice. I feel, yeah, well, not. I'm not saying he's a better player. They're obviously very, very different types of players. Yeah. But I prefer to watch Thomas Socek because of the way he just wades through everyone like it's like he's walking waist deep in the sea. Well, there's there's very few genuine, like, good physical box-to-box midfielders left in football now because people mm-hmm. tend to specialise in one aspect yeah. of the game. And Socek is kind of an old-fashioned, will defend a header in his own box and then five seconds later, he's at the other end of the pitch. He's Yaya challenging for something. He's got something of that style of midfielder about him. Um I think he he has left less craft and guile than Toure had. Um, you know, Toure is a, an outstanding player, but sure. I, but I think that that ability to impose himself physically on a game, but not just be about his physical attributes, yeah, yeah. I, that I I do understand. Yeah. Um, and I think Rice Rice feels like one of the players, weirdly, who is more limited by this England team, because at West Ham. He is a press-resistant, ball-carrying, spraying passes around kind of midfielder. And him and Suchek really complement each other in that way because one will fill in when the other pushes up. For England, he's all about shielding. And and I feel like he does it well and he's grown into that aspect of his game. We've talked before about what an aware player he is with all of his scanning and stuff. But you don't see that thrust that you get from Declan Rice in a West Ham shirt. feels like it's about license, Alex. It's like... He is probably, he, he kind of does 50% of what he does for his club. And so therefore, there's not actually the need for someone with Declan Rice's range of attributes to play that role for England, if that makes sense. It just feels a bit reductive. It just, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, we'll be back after this. And we're back. Thank God we're back. Uh, let's talk about Sweden 1, nil Slovakia. XG was weird here. This is the XG podcast, Seb. Sure is. Sweden 2.32 against Slovakia's 0.69. I I really struggle with this game. Like I I, I watched it, I saw all of it, and yet I don't seem to have taken much in. Um, I did quite like what I saw from Alexander Izak, though. Alex, your thoughts on him, please. Um, That was such a casual throw, Seb, to (laughs) bail yourself out of having to say any more. It's late. Yeah, no, I was impressed. It was it was professionally. Hey, people done. should read Carl Anker's article about him. That's really people good. should yeah, read Carl Anker's. In fact, good. I'm going to be honest. I have Carl Anker's article about him on my phone. Okay, right here. Okay, uh, his combination of explosive speed and inventive finishes meant Isaac's talent was never in question. Uh, it's a really nice article, and it basically talks about the kind of player he is. He's he's really interesting for a six foot three striker. He is not a target man. 
Uh, he's not someone you really want to play the ball into in the not air. Not pivot, is he, really? No, he is really good at running in behind. He worked particularly well in quite a counter-attacking Real Sociedad team. Uh, what I loved today was so there was a moment where uh, Augustinson was fouled in the left-back slot. Yes. Who yes, yes. also played really well, incidentally. I mean, I, I have a lot of time for Sweden in a very boring way, but yeah, I'd let's not I get into that because yeah, yeah. uh, nobody else will share no. my enthusiasm. Um, but... Isaac carries the ball forward. The ball, ball breaks to him. Augustinson's on the ground complaining. Isaac carries the ball <laughs> up the pitch and turns because he's held up. And naturally there, the out ball is to then play it back to his left back, except his left back is writhing in agony on the floor trying to get a free yeah. kick. And so he just turns and goes, sod it, I'm going to do this myself. Uh, carries the ball beautifully, fires off a shot, which arguably he shot low to the goalkeeper's right. Maybe he should have tried to bend it around. I'm not here to criticize technique because I can't kick it myself. But that, I think the decision at the end of that run was a bit poor. I've, but the pace, the control, the skill, the ability to assess a situation really quickly, think I'm the only guy who can do something here because I've got no support around me and then execute that. I just thought that was exceptional. I've got a scenario for you. So um, I looked it up before, and I, I think it's true that um, there is Borussia Dortmund retain a 30 million euro buyback clause um, in the deal that sent Isaac to Real Sociedad. Now, what happens when Erling Haaland eventually leaves? It will either be this summer or next summer. It feels quite interesting that that like that's such a Isaac. I don't think it's going to. He's not going to inhabit the kind of Haaland era of the game. I don't think he's quite as complete. I think he's. He lacks a few things in his game at the moment, but that um, that sale also, you know, all of a sudden looks a little bit easier. Um, got Marco Rosa coming in at Dortmund. Is he? Would he? Is that suit him? So Marco Rosa is a very transition-based coach, like a lot of these modern German coaches are. So that's looking to maximise counter-attacking counter opportunities and make the most of pressing situations, quick turnovers. And I think in those circumstances, Isaac really flourishes. Yeah. Um, when uh, Rosa is at Borussia Mönchengladbach, he's in charge of uh, Plie, he's in charge of Marcus Turam. Turam's he's, a lovely player. Right, actually. so he's, yeah. got, he's got strikers who are not... I don't think really any of the strikers that played under Rosa at Gladbach are like quintessential old school nines. Definitely not. They are players who make uh, interlapping runs, who cross over positions, who drift yeah. wide and come central. But everything is about moving the ball with verticality up the pitch and, and freeing those explosive runners behind. And I think if you add Isaac to that setup, you, you get something that is more subtle and interesting to watch. I mean, uh, Holland is a phenomenal player, but he is... He's a violent instrument. He's a very, very Holland. finely tuned blunt instrument. Yeah, um, is, uh, whereas Isaac has some panache to him. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I like, um, you know, it's sort of... Uh, Holland is kind of a gold-plated hammer, isn't he, in a way? Whereas <laughs> Isaac is... Uh, there is a bit more finesse, there's a bit more technique there. He's a bit more of a subtle player. Like, I really like that Taram comparison because the Taram player uh, combination was. I know. I know Gladbach fell off a cliff a little bit when when Rosa um, announced that he was leaving, but when they were at their best, that worked so well. They were so attractive to watch, and you can see, you can see an Isaac really developing under that style of football. If they, if you could, I'm trying to think of who would be the the Turam and who would be the player. I mean, whether 
I don't know. I think he needs another sort of um, inside forward slash nine and a half type player to, to mm. kind of uh, to duel with in that situation. But it's interesting. I'd like to see him go back to Dortmund. I think he'd do really well. I think he would also work at a team like Manchester United who who are playing in transition a lot, who are looking to run in behind. And, and if you have that sort of narrow front three that can also expand out if you have say Greenwood on one side you have Rashford on the other and you have Isaac through the center there's a lot of ball carrying ability there there's a lot of players that can shoot from different positions and pose a real threat and get that nice sort of interchange I think that would of, of, of all Premier League sides I, I would quite like him at Ar- I mean I wouldn't quite like him at Arsenal but I could see that working because <laughs> there'll be no Lacazette I could see him working with Aubameyang like I'd see that, like Aubameyang from the left, Isaac as your kind of nine, that would be quite nice dynamic. I think Arsenal have other priorities. They certainly need to build their defence a little bit better, and I think that's what they'll probably do. They'll also have to replace Granit Xhaka if he leaves. So, But that, that's uh, I, I think it's quite telling that you could probably put him into quite a few situations and imagine him succeeding. That's quite mm. descriptive of how good he is, I think. Yeah, he's a lovely player to watch. Yeah, absolutely. All right, well... Uh, before we finish today, let's just quickly go through the points that we have so far. Alex, uh, pleased to say that you're still in the lead with 33. You did well today. I can't remember the details of that, but sure. just to say, you did well. I'm Take gratified. It. That's a nice, yeah. So pleased. Uh, next up is uh, JJ, who is on 38. I'm starting to worry that I've added these up wrong, but... Listen, this is what it is now. This is how it works. JJ, five five points behind Alex now in second on 38. Seb just behind on 39. Okay. That's not bad. Today. Not bad. Not bad. Okay, and a good day. I made up one point on you today okay. to be, oh, maybe you added a point. Yep, I added a point to be uh, 44. You got a perfect so score there today. I got a perfect score, but then I added four points when I said that England bit, would win 3-1. A bit wild in the yeah. old England and Scotland, yeah. Uh, and before we finish, tomorrow's games... Let me just find out what they are. Oh, looking forward to tomorrow. It's a big day. Mm. Saturday. Spain, Poland. Hungary, France. Portugal, Germany. Hot diggity dog. Seb, let's begin with you. Read that again, Joe. I stopped listening again. No, very reasonable. <laughs> very. I almost Sorry. stopped talking. Spain, Poland, please. Uh, Spain win that one. 2-0. Yes, okay. Yeah. Hungary, France. France, 3-0. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And uh, Portugal, Germany. 1-1. One, one. Okay, one, Alex, one. I'm coming to you. Spain, 3-1. He's taking it so seriously. He sniffed victory. Yeah. He senses victory. Do you remember how uncool he thought it was a few days ago all when he wasn't sudden, winning? All and all now he's, he's winning. In. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. oh, maybe it's okay. It's like, it's like him with fancy football. If you're going to do something... I don't like games. Oh, you know, like, oh, I'm so above fancy football. Yeah. I don't, I'm not bothered I finished last. Just because he lost by 200 points. Okay, so what did you say Spain were going to win there, darling? 3-1. 3-1, sure. okay. Hungry uh, France, please. 2-0 to France. Mm-hmm. Portugal, uh, Germany. 2-1 to Germany. Oh, hello now. Okay, uh, I think uh, Spain-Poland is a classic 1-0 uh, Poland. Nice, okay. I think Hungary-France is a classic 2-0 France. And I think Portugal-Germany is a classic 3 all. <laughs> and I'm really going out on that one, because if that's not anything like that, I'm going to add possibly up to six that's, points. That's What's so getting a 3 all? Uh, Portugal-Germany is getting three <laughs> goals each. That's the uh, big 3-3. Three, three. The big 3-3 three, three. It's always a 3-3 three, three in a tournament. There's always a 3-3. Three, three. 
anyway. You wouldn't have predicted five fives for Alex Ferguson's last game, I you would know? Not. I would it's just not. three threes, nothing you like know. a five five. You know. Anyway, it's uh, all time for bed, isn't it? It's all time for bed. And I will say to you for uh, listening, thank you for joining us in the uh, film noir music this evening. I hope you uh, enjoyed the the day's games and hope to see you again tomorrow. Seb Stafford Bloor. Thank you very much. I say I hope to see you again tomorrow because I have a feeling you might fall into a ravine on the way home. (laughs) No, I shall be here. I shall be fine. Bit Mm -hmm. of sleep. All good. Back to normal. Well, not normal, but, you know, in that direction. Yeah. Okay. Alex Stewart, will you be normal tomorrow? Is it for me to answer that (laughs) question? I mean, I'll be, I will be here. You'll be the same. You'll be you. You'll just be be you. I'll just be you. Me. Anyway, thanks to our uh, our lovely crew of Craig and Sol, as usual, and our supporter in the room this evening, illustrator Henry Cook. You can't see him, but he is here, and he's been a very, very quiet boy. Well done. At Telstar Designs. At Telstar Designs. Yeah, do give him a follow. That's why there's no horrible abuse in the chat, because he hasn't been able to use his burner at home. (laughs) So, we will be back tomorrow. Uh, Thank you for listening, and uh, au revoir. Good night. Bye. Bye.